0: Well, I'm glad to be here this morning. I'm uh, uh, happy to be a poor substitute for Warren, uh, but uh, glad, to, glad to fill in as I can, uh, and uh, happy to bring you greetings from your friends at Lincoln Christian University, from uh, President Silas McCormick and all the rest of us there. Uh, we appreciate your partnership in the work that we do, and uh, uh, so we're, we're very thankful for that. Uh, I was asked this morning to continue, I think, into a series of sermons on uh, uh, thankfulness. Um, And uh, we thank God for uh, uh, his provision. And Warren really asked me to talk about the subject of contentment. Uh, Because when God provides for you, you can be content. And man, contentment... That's a tough subject because billions of dollars are spent in this country, and I think around the world, probably trillions of dollars are spent making sure you are not content. There's a whole industry, Madison Avenue, all the advertising people. What's the goal to make sure you're not content with what you have, that you want more? doesn't matter what people are selling. They want you to want something you don't have. It, you've probably experienced it this way. You have a perfectly good car. It's not just a mediocre car. It's a perfectly good car. It's not too uncomfortable to set in. The heater works. Hopefully the air conditioner works. Maybe even the radio works. But that's not really you know, a big deal. You, uh, when you go out in the morning, it starts. Doesn't matter how cold it is. It starts right up drops into gear, takes you where you're going, gets you back, haven't had a flat tire in years, really don't have any engine trouble. It's a perfect car. What more could you want out of a car? Until your neighbor pulls in the driveway with a brand new car. Hey, come over and see my new car. So you go over and look at the new car. You stick your head in and immediately, you know what you see? 17 cup holders. and a half dozen USB ports. And right there in the middle of the dashboard, a uh, 47-inch display. It's wider than the car. But most of all, what gets you is that new car smell. You know, oh, it smells like a new car. You know, it's probably carcinogenous. Uh, It's like the off-gassing of toxic chemicals that... Like, you know, from the, the vinyl and stuff in the car. But that's what a new car smells like. It, oh, that's a new Because you know what your car smells like? Steal french fries. Yeah. Well, that's what my car smells like anyway. So. so there's this whole industry that always wants to put in front of us and tell us, you need this one more thing. You need this one more thing. You can't quite be happy. You shouldn't be content until you get this. And as soon as you get this, you know what? There's another this. We shouldn't be real surprised about how hard it is to be content. Uh, It's in our genes. It goes way back to our earliest ancestors. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, you find that the serpent came to Eve and said to Eve, Did God really say you couldn't eat any of this wonderful stuff in the garden? Eve gives an honest answer. Well, no, we can eat everything except that one tree. Oh, God won't let you eat from that tree, huh? Because that's the good tree. That's the tree. God's holding on to that, but he don't want you to have that because he knows if you had that, you'd come up in status. You'd be like him if you eat from that tree. Now, all of a sudden, Eve's had everything from apples to zucchini. You know, anything you could, the whole Garden of Eden, except one tree. And all of a sudden, she's not content with everything else. She has to have that one thing she doesn't have. It's been like that Forever. That we look around and we don't see what we do have. We don't see all the blessings God gives us. We don't even see the dangers in the things he keeps from us. We just see what we don't have. And we want it. Even if it's not good for us, we want it. Let me read a text, because Paul's going to talk about contentment here. This is from the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Starting with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Hope we'll learn that today. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering to God, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God, our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we back up just a minute? And uh, we're kind of peeking into somebody else's mail here. We're sort of reading uh, a text that has meaning for the church for all time. But Paul originally wrote this to a particular group of people. In a city in northern Greece, Macedonia, city of Philippi. It was an important place for Paul. He planted that church. If you remember, you could... Go back and read this in, uh, from like the latter part of Acts 15 through Acts 17. And here's what you'd find, that, that uh, Paul was on his missionary journey, and he'd come to a point in Asia Minor where he was trying to figure out where to go next. And he decided, I'm going this way. And he headed up north. But the Holy Spirit said, nope, that's not the way you're supposed to go. So he turned around and he tried to head southwest and the Holy Spirit said, no, that's not the way you're supposed to go. So he was kind of sitting there going, what am I supposed to do? And he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw a man from Macedonia, where Philippi was located, saying, come over here and bring the gospel to us. Now, previously, Paul had been in like, what's now Turkey. He'd been in Asia. And to cross over into Macedonia with the gospel into Europe, was, that was a big step. But you know what Paul did, he went right down, got on a boat, squirted over there to Macedonia, and off he went. Wound up in Philippi, which is kind of like the uh, regional capital there. And uh, so there was no church there. There wasn't even a synagogue. He easily went to a Jewish synagogue and began preaching there. But there were some people who worshiped God and they met out by a river uh, at the edge of town. So he went out there and met with them and started teaching about Jesus. And as he was going back and forth, you'll probably remember this story. There was every day when he went and Silas was with him, Timothy was with him, Luke was with him. Every day as they went back and forth, they'd meet this girl and this girl was a fortune teller. She had a spirit and she would proclaim to everybody, these people are teaching you the good news about the most high God. You know, these people are servants of the most high God. These people were God's messengers. And it kind of got on Paul's nerves. Now, every day she would follow them around. And now she was a slave and she belonged to some guys who made good money by having her predict the future. But one day as Paul went along, he says, you know, I'm, I'm tired of this spirit tormenting her and us. And he turned around and he cast the spirit out of her, which set her free from her bondage and him from his annoyance but it also sort of shut down the business that uh, these guys were running. And they were real happy about that. So they dragged Paul and Silas, you know, to the the magistrates and, and they get them thrown in jail. Beaten and thrown without even a trial. They just drag them before the judges and they say, yeah, let's just beat these guys up and throw them in jail. So they did. And you remember that late at night, Paul and Silas, they were not only in the innermost part of the dungeon locked in a cell. They had their feet locked in stocks and they were singing and praying and an earthquake came and all the doors flew open in the jail and all the shackles fell off and the jailer looked at all of it. He, He came and looked in the door and if one prisoner escaped, it meant his life. So he decides he'll just fall on his sword. And Paul calls out, hey, nobody escaped. Don't hurt yourself. We're all right here. And the jailer came and he took Paul and Silas and the others to his home. And his household and those people, including a woman named Lydia, down at at the river. They became the first church in Philippi. They became the first Christians. Paul baptized them and they formed a little church right there. Not only that. When Paul was done preaching there, he decided maybe uh, he he should, they really, the magistrates really wanted him to leave town since they'd sort of falsely imprisoned him and done lots of wrong things. And uh, so he did, he left town, and he went on down the the road to Thessalonica. But when he got to Thessalonica, who sent him financial support? That little bunch of people back in Philippi. And everywhere he went, as he went on that mission journey, time and again, those folks sent him money. So that's what's behind this letter that we just read, is these people had been supporting him. But then you remember, Paul went back to Jerusalem, he went on down through Corinth, he went back to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he was arrested. They sent him to Caesarea, and he was imprisoned there for a while, and then they put him on a ship, and he was shipwrecked, trying to get to Rome, and then when he got to Rome, he was in prison, and all he, he was under arrest in Rome, but he had to rent his own apartment and stay in. He was like under house arrest. And all that, and you know, all that moving around, the Philippians kind of lost track of where Paul was. So it had, it's been now years that he hasn't heard from them. And all of a sudden, here comes probably the missions chairman from their church or the preacher or somebody. Here comes a guy named Epaphroditus from the church in Philippi. And he comes to Paul bringing a gift. And Paul is so relieved. Not because he really needs the money. I mean, he works for God. God's going to take care of him. But he's so relieved that these Christian friends of his have not forgotten about him. That they still see him as a partner. And so he begins to tell them that he's thankful for their gift even though he's content, even without it. And then he explains that contentment, this is is the big idea. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Contentment comes from realizing God provides what we really need. Contentment comes from realizing that God provides what we really need. But sometimes that can be hard to do because just what is it you really need? Here's another little story. Um, There have been wonderful, generous Christian people in my life, and I remember one couple uh, years and years and years ago who invited my wife, myself, and our two uh, preschool daughters at the time to come join them on their boat. Now, we had a boat at my house growing up. It was uh, like a 16-foot aluminum canoe with holes patched in it, you know, and uh, like woven seats like a lawn chair. Uh, so they wanted us to come actually stay on their boat with them. I'm like, ooh, you can stay in a boat? I didn't know that. So, so we had to travel down to the Gulf Coast to where their boat was tied up. And this was a boat that would, had sleeping and dining accommodations for 12 people. It was 37 feet long, had two big V8 engines. And uh, it was quite the boat. It you know, had a full bathroom and, or whatever you call it on a boat. And everything... So we enjoy. They, they let us stay on the boat with them for a while, and we enjoy. This is kind of we, you know, puts out to islands and back during the daytime, and then at night tie up in a marina there along the Gulf Coast. And and one evening, and these I want to be very clear. These were very generous, very good Christian people. But one evening, as we were hanging out there on the boat, a yacht belonging to a professional football player pulled in just a couple of slips down from where we were. This boat had to be 100 feet long. There were like 40 or 50 people having a big party on this boat. You know, it looked like a small cruise ship. And this wonderful, generous Christian lady just briefly looks over wistfully at that boat. And she says to me, it's so hard to entertain when you only have a 37-foot boat. Contentment. If, if you're looking at what you don't have, you'll never have enough. So here's some advice from Scripture. In Proverbs 30, uh, verses 8 and 9, it says this, Give me only my daily bread, otherwise I may have too much, and disown you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal. And so dishonor the name of my God. When Paul writes to Timothy, who was part of this group that was at Philippi. When Paul writes to Timothy in uh, chapter 6 of his first letter to Timothy. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. You can take, didn't bring anything into the world. You can't take anything out of it. Never saw a hearse pulling a U haul. But it isn't natural for us to be content, it just isn't. But Paul wants the Philippians to know that they can be content, like he's content. So he he writes to them and, and he wants them to know, I'm thankful you sent a gift. And yes, your gift will make my life easier. But I didn't really need it. I could be content with whatever I have. But what I am so happy about is that you had it on your hearts to share. That's real contentment. When you can take what you have and not think about what's the next thing you can get for yourself. But how you can share. See, maybe the things that that we really need aren't things at all. It's our relationship with Christ and his people that are really what we need. So Paul is, is really thankful for what their gifts represent. It's not just the money that he's thankful for. He's thankful that these people who he hadn't heard from in a while, who he thought maybe had forgotten him or perhaps they were even mad at him. That this gift caught him. And I don't know, maybe Epaphroditus has been chasing all around the Mediterranean trying to, you know, he goes someplace where he thinks Paul is and no, he's not there. He went on and he's just chasing Paul for years trying to, I don't know, trying to deliver the gift. But he's, Paul is so thankful that he didn't need anything. He was getting by. He had everything he needed. And yet, these Christian friends renewed their faithfulness to him. So it's not... What, what he's really thankful for here is not the gift itself, but the attitude of his brothers and sisters that the gift reflects. Let, let me put it this way. Um, for years and years and years, I preached every Sunday in the church. And then I went to work for the school teaching, went to work at Lincoln teaching, and uh, I'd go out and preach occasionally, but most of the time, most every Sunday, my ministry is children's ministry bouncer. I stand at the door and keep the little people in and the wrong people out. And uh, and sometimes it's more about keeping the little people in, and and that gives you all sorts of uh, of. Uh, I'm also kind of first volunteer, so if anybody doesn't show up, I just fill in wherever, you know. So let me tell you something. If you want to see Stark humanity at its rawest. If you want to see what what it can really be like. Hang out with two-year-olds. <laughs> they can be vicious and selfish. They can, that mine. But you know what's great? Is when you've, you sit with those two-year-olds that the one that's, snatching things away from other children and yelling mine all the time and you start to sing those little songs about jesus jesus wants us to share you know every children's ministry song is either the tune of pharaoh Jaka or row, row row your boat uh, they have you know, all different words but the tunes are the same but that's okay the kids love it and they it, those little two-year-old brains it soaks in there and what's really really a blessing is to sit beside the two-year-old who's been screaming for weeks, mine, 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 but singing songs about sharing, about how Jesus wants us to share. And as you're sitting there, he takes a little styrofoam bowl with some slobbered on Cheerios in it (laughs) and offers you his Cheerios. Not because I even like Cheerios or slobber. But because, praise God, Jesus has begun to get in that little heart and change that selfishness, that discontent, that mine attitude into one of sweetness and sharing. That's what Paul sees in the Philippians. Philippians. That's what he's really happy about. It's not just the gift, but the attitude behind it. The gift represents the love and concern they have for him, the gospel, uh, him and the gospel. And more importantly, uh, Paul then tells us something about how to be content. He says, I've learned the secret of how to be content. It's not really a secret, but I know it. I know how to be content now. I've been down to my last, whatever they had, drachma, I don't know, some coin. I've been down to, you know, dirt poor. I've been in prison. I've had nothing. And I've had an abundance. I've, you know, I've lived in the homes of rich people and been treated like a king. And what I've found is that in Christ, when I have nothing, I have enough. And when I have something, I don't let it go to my head. That's what he's saying. That I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I can face the difficulties of being short on funds. The difficulties of not knowing where that next bill is going to get paid. How it's going to get paid. Not knowing maybe where the next meal's coming from. Because I can do that in Christ. Because He strengthens me and gives me the power to deal with that. And I can deal with the fact that I have more than I need and still not use that wrongly or selfishly. Because Christ helps me with that problem too. So I can do everything, I can face any economic situation. Because Christ gives me the strength to do it. So, how do we do that? Well, Paul commends them, he said, for their partnership in the gospel in this way. Um, He said, I'm not looking for your gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. If I've received payment in full and even more, I'm amply supplied. And this is a sacrifice pleasing to God. So here's how it benefits it. Number one, as as we share with God's people, that comes back to bless us. You folks have, you've been wonderful about supporting Lincoln Christian University through the years. We're thankful for that. Hopefully we've sent you a fellow or two that you appreciate and have been a blessing to you. That's a partnership. It's working together. You send missionaries. You can't go all the places they go, but they can go on your behalf. You support other benevolent works, things that you can't do it, but you can support it. And those people in turn bless you. Paul also says this thing about, uh, he's glad that this is being reckoned to their account. Now, Jesus said something like that. He said, if you want to invest in a secure investment and uh, right now, I don't know what your 401k, what your IRA, what your investments are doing. Um, Mine look like a ski slope, you know, but uh, I don't know about you. But Jesus says there's one place you can invest that'll never lose. And that's in heaven. So he said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Nothing rots or rusts or loses value when you invest it in heaven. And that's what Paul's thankful for, that this work, that they, this generous gift they've sent to him is going to be credited to their account. Finally, it's also an act of worship, that you're giving glory to God in your contentment. Because we live in a world where contentment is really, really, really rare. It's so rare that people notice when they encounter a contented person. They almost think you're weird. Just, just try just try going a week and just being perfectly content with everything you have. And, and see how people around you react. We can, it's an act of worship. It sets us apart as God's people. Now, there's this last verse here, verse 19. That's another key to this. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs. That's a promise to them. It's a promise to us. God will meet all of our needs. We just have to be on the same page God is with what our needs are. And God will meet our needs. You remember Moses? And the, <clears throat> this is, I think, in about Numbers 11. The, uh, the, the children of Israel, they'd come out of Egypt. They'd crossed the Red Sea. <clears throat> excuse me. They'd, uh, they'd made their way uh, to the foot of Mount Sinai. They had the Ten Commandments. Uh, they built a tabernacle. And now it's time for them to move on and as they start moving they begin to complain that we don't have anything to eat so God gives them manna. Hmm. Manna. Manna for breakfast. Manna for lunch. Manna for supper. Fried manna, baked manna, roast manna, manna sickles, I don't know. Everything. So they come to Moses again and they say, you know, the manna is okay, but we're getting kind of tired of just manna. <clears throat> Any chance we get some meat around here? And <clears throat> they complained. And why don't you just take us back to Egypt? We had meat there. So Moses goes to God with this problem and God says, really, they're complaining about the manna and no meat. Okay. I tell you what, <clears throat> excuse me, you tell the people to get ready because I'm going to give them meat for a month. I'm going to give them so much meat that I'm quoting God here, so don't be offended. I'm going to give them so much meat it will come out their nostrils and they'll be sick of it. And Moses says, God, if we slaughtered every animal we have with us, it wouldn't begin to feed these people for a week, let alone a month. And God's answer is I like this saying, is the Lord's arm too short? You think I can't read. Watch this, Moses. You tell the people to get ready. Here's what's going to happen. And here's what did happen. Every day for a month, the Lord blew a strong wind in and just blew in millions of quail. Yeah, quail, little birds, you know. What the text says is they were waist deep in quail for 20 miles in every direction. That's a lot of quail. And the people began to eat quail. Is the Lord, now? They were out in the middle of nowhere. There's no, there was no meat. There's, no, there's not a Kroger's down the road. You know, there's, they had no place to get. And God said, you can't think I can reach you with what you need wherever you are. You think you can be so far away that I can't reach to give you what you need? Watch this. How would you like to be waist deep in quail? What about Jonah? That's a different kind of provision. Remember Jonah's story? It's it's interesting. If you read the book of Jonah, it's just four chapters long. You could read it in less than an hour. It's easy. God told Jonah, go over here to this city in the east and tell them that my judgment is coming on them because they are doing some really bad things. I want you to go tell them to repent. Jonah's like, "Mm, those people are pretty mean over there. I'm going to go this way. So instead of going going to the east, he goes to the west. Well, he gets on a ship to try to go west. And there's a storm, and they wind up having to throw him overboard. Now, uh, if you notice, you read the Old Testament closely, God's people didn't spend a lot of time on boats. They weren't great sailors. They usually rode on somebody else's boat. They threw him overboard. Out in the middle of a stormy sea. And the text says God provided a great fish. Jonah himself, right, sings a little song about it. It Says, I was going sinking down to the bottom of the ocean. I was, you know, seaweed was entangling me. I was drowning, basically. And God provided a fish. Maybe you've always thought of the, the fish swallowing Jonah as a punishment. It was a deliverance. It saved him from drowning and it took him to where God wanted him to to go. Sometimes in life, God provides things that aren't quite what we thought we wanted, but they're what God wants us to have. Can you be content with that? One more story and I'll quit. Darlene Diebler Rose. Have you ever heard her story? She's written a book, you might have heard it. She and her husband were missionaries uh, in New Guinea uh, back in the 1930s, late 1930s, when the Japanese invaded. <clears throat> Since they were Americans, the Japanese took them prisoner and sent them to different internment camps. Her husband to one, her to another. In the, uh, her husband died in the camp that, that he was sent to. She survived the war, to, to tell the story, but she tells about <clears throat> looking out the window of her cell and at recreation, there was a time that some of the prisoners got to go out and have a little exercise in the yard. And she noticed there was this one kind of local woman who'd been in prison for something. And she would slowly make her way over to where there was a bunch of vines growing on the on the wall and the fence. And when the guard wasn't looking, a bunch of bananas would come through that vine. And she'd grab them, put them inside her coat or under her, her blouse or whatever. And and then she'd have bananas to eat. And Darlene writes that she was so jealous because she was living on rice gruel, just a thin rice soup. And she saw, She said, God, I don't need a bunch of bananas, but could I please have one banana? And then, as she thought about it, she went back to God. I'm, I'm sorry, God. I'm so thankful that I do have some food. I'm, I'm thankful for the rice gruel. I just, those bananas looked so good. But God, I realize I'm in solitary confinement. The guards are vicious. There's no way that, that you can get me even one banana. I'm sorry for asking. But I sure would like to have a banana. But I know, God, that that's unfair for me to even ask. I won't go into all the events that happened, but through something, a couple of days later, she heard heavy footsteps in the hallway. Her cell door opened. She was expecting another beating. Her cell door opened, and a guard looked at her and threw a stalk of 92 bananas. Into the room and locked the cell and left. 92 bananas. She would have been content with one. Our God is able to supply all of our needs and then some. But we have to be careful that we know our needs from just the things that tempt us to discontent. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do provide for us in ways that we don't even see, in ways we don't even see how it could possibly happen. You care for us. Thank you, Father, that you have taught us uh, through this text and others, through the examples of people you have cared for, both in the pages of Scripture and right in our own day how you give us what we need. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the power through Christ to be content in the circumstances in which you place us. In Jesus' name, amen.